This is The Verse, a weekly dive into the cinematic universes and beyond. We'll dissect the latest episodes, films, and news all fans from veterans to news are dying to know more about. Now, here's our team of pop culture superheroes we call The Verse Squad. Welcome to The Verse. Welcome back to The Verse, the podcast that always travels at Warp 10. Let's hitch up our trailers to a star and give our early takes on The Boys Season 3 and She-Hulk trailers in our T3 segment. Then we get ready for another season of The Verse's Star Trek Academy as we cover more Star Trek Strange New Worlds. But before we dive in, let's first meet the team. I'm Bridget. I'm Norm. I'm Lucas. And I'm Emilia. And this is The Verse. Wait, hang on. I'm getting, I'm getting an incoming transmission. A special report. It's actually a T3 segment where we give our takes on the trailers of the latest Cinematic Universe properties and beyond. We'll discuss what we see, speculate, and then when all of it is done, we're going to grade it with one of the three T's. Again, this segment is flawlessly named Trailer, Trash, Treasure, or Hey, That Looks Okay. Um, so we have two, two trailers on the slate today. Uh, why don't we start with She-Hulk? The minute it came out, of course, then comes the internet to definitely not the rescue. Well, I needed bash yeah, it. Yeah, just to bash it. Hulk smash it. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> exactly. everyone seems to be really upset. Uh, Lucas, you've talked about the unca- uh, Uncanny Valley in the past. Yes. And a yes. lot of people are ripping this trailer apart just because they don't like the CGI on She-Hulk. And I want to... On her face, I wanna, Yeah, and I want to remind people a couple things. One, it's probably not fully rendered yet. No. Because if everyone remembers, there was a Spider-Man trailer with Alfred Molina's de-aging that wasn't completely finished yet. And people were like, oh, it looks so bad and whatnot. But in the movie, it was flawless. And I have a funny feeling that's going to happen here. So I think the internet, like always, needs to take a chill pill, relax, and just try and enjoy it for its story content and the idea behind it at first. Which, by the way, I enjoyed. Yes. Yeah, I thought it looked fine. <laughs> it was funny. So I watched it just like on a little window on my computer, right? So it's like a tiny window. So I have to admit, like I wasn't really able to focus on the the details very much. So I loved it. And I didn't even think twice about the the CGI, right? And then suddenly I go on Reddit, and everybody just in such a bad mood. <laughs> I was like, "Are we? Are you guys crazy? Like, do we watch the same trailer? Because that looks fun. That looks really fun. Like, I love a good action comedy. Exactly. It looks fun." Yeah, I mean, if anything, I kind of felt like um, Bruce Hulk, Smart Hulk, looked a little weirder. But I've, I don't know, maybe that's just like a, a preference thing. But um, I was definitely not paying as much attention to the CGI. I was definitely paying more attention to the whole, like, what's this going to be? It, it does seem like a fun kind of dramedy-esque installment. Mm-hmm. So we're exploring even more new genres. Mm-hmm. I would say too. Yeah, it's like a legal. It's a legal comedy, right? Yeah, it is a legal comedy. Wait, Suits is an illegal comedy. That was a legal drama. This is a legal comedy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, I'm trying to think of a legal comedy, but I can't think of Legally one. Legally Blonde. <laughs> well, that's like okay, true. That's like the legal no, comedy but, of all time. But a TV show, <laughs> yeah, though. What's a TV, TV show? There was the one with Fred Savage. Yes, where he put pl- where he plays Rob Lowe. Grinder. Yeah, that one. That's a legal comedy. And there's there's other ones. Law and Order SVU. It's hilarious. <laughs> oh, yeah. <It's> hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Hysterical. The These definition of comedy. Uh, yeah. 
Okay, so I guess, like, the trailer didn't really explain this. So She-Hulk is Bruce Banner's cousin. Yes. And she's a lawyer. And... They explained that part. They explained that part. But, like, I want to know, like... So we all know how the Hulk became the Hulk. Like, it's not a family genetic thing. Yeah, it doesn't run in the family, It doesn't run in the family. So I don't understand how he's got a cousin that's also the Hulk, because that's not how that works. In in the comic books, she comes down with a rare disorder that can only be uh, treated if she has... um, genetic material donated to her from a living relative and the only living living relative that can donate it is bruce banner but so she's got a there's the, a whole kidney <laughs> yeah so there's a problem and um she's gonna like, have a hulk attack he he decides so... to to do go through with it knowing that it could very well turn her into a monster but because it's not huh. like uh oh the full gamma ray yeah um it only like slightly affects her Interesting. So, okay, so it's like, um, the Hulk is the Hulk because of gamma ray irradiation. Right. And so that's altered his genetic code. So any donated material... Yeah, I I, I can't remember if it was bone marrow or if it was something else, and it, like, it didn't, like, affect her on a genetic level, but it affected her on a cellular level, I believe. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. been a while well i think the things that i yeah i think that's the basics of the story that they communicated in the uh trailer is that they didn't explain why but you knew that she somehow was like in a cage like in a hulk cage and she was bashing out of it Mm -hmm. um but then the 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 whole um tension in the story i guess you would say was that she has these superpowers all of a sudden and she doesn't seem interested at all in using them she just wants to be a lawyer which i love like that whole setup is funny yeah, it's like, which makes so much sense. You got to think like your average person would be like, that's cool. I can like run fast and hit things. But, you know, I have a career. <laughs> like, how does that help me be a better lawyer? Well, <laughs> you know, like in, in the show, that's, funny. The, that's inherently funny. In the comic books and in the show, they've already shown that she's going to be specializing as a super uh, human uh, defense lawyer to try and make mm-hmm. sure that they get a fair shot at justice as well as a regular human being would. And, you know, I... It's got to be a good niche. It, it's definitely a niche. She's yeah. she, she's putting it out there and cornering the market there. Um, and, you know, uh, Tatiana uh, Maslany. Maslany. Yeah. She plays Jennifer Walters, a.k.a. She-Hulk. Uh, uh, Jamila Jamil. Black. Jamila Jamil's... Tatiana. I think, uh, I think that's... Is that a villain in this? Um, in the comic books, it is, you know, she is. But we also get Mark Ruffalo for sure, and we also see Tim Roth, who in the oh yeah um, Hulk movie from wow I can't even remember when plays Which one Abomination two thousand and eight. Was that the Ed Norton yes, one, or is it the, it was other the Ed one? Norton one? Okay, not not, yeah, not the I Eric Banner. Vaguely one. remember it. I remember not enjoying it that Wait, much. I didn't hate it. Question it mark didn't leave much of an impression. Yes, am I like making this that up when? Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings came out. In the original trailer, weren't they showing the abomination in the well, fight ring? Yeah, he, him and him yes. and Wong are fighting in the uh, the fight ring in the movie. Correct. In the movie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. That's what I thought. Okay. I was like, we just saw him somewhere. I know we did. Oh, well, he's definitely yeah, in this one. This, according to this IMDb page, Wong is actually supposed to be in an episode. 
with nice. this as well. So we're getting more wall. <laughs> yep. Something we all said we wanted after. Uh... Dude, I want him to have a feature film, his own feature film. I'm not even going to settle for <laughs> just a series. I want his own feature film. That's awesome. Doctor Strange 3. <laughs> The Wong cut. Dr. Wong. <laughs> Release the Wong cut. Anyway. Um, so what do we think, though, of this? I mean, first of all, I guess, was there any moments that really stood out to anybody that made them say, ooh, I really want to watch this, or ooh, I really don't want to um, watch this? Well, I guess I have another question, because, sure. like, the She-Hulk, like, she was, like, normal as the Hulk. Like, how smart Hulk, like, mm-hmm. is, like, normal Bruce. But, like, originally when Bruce became the Hulk, he was, like, Rachel, you actually you actually might like this, and I and they do mention it in the trailer. Um, The reason why she's able to uh, control her Hulk side more is because she blatantly just states like women deal with fear and anger way more often than men actually do, and therefore we have a hold on it. So therefore, I can control my Hulk more than what Bruce could. And uh, that's true in the comics, and it, they're keeping that going here in uh, in this show. It seems cool. All right, valid, valid. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it looks funny. I like. I guess from a female perspective, like when they were talking about, like I think the one thing in the trailer that I thought was funny, she was like standing with her girlfriends, and once she becomes the Hulk, and it looks like she's coming out as the Hulk. Essentially, they're like, "Man, your butt looks great, girl." Like. Things like that. And then when she's, like, going on blind dates and she's, like, dating guys as She-Hulk. Oh, my God. That was so funny. And then they cut to a scene after she's eating dinner and she's, like, carrying the guy to the bedroom. (laughs) I don't know if anybody remembers me talking about something very similar to this where I was talking about how, like, if uh, uh, The Rock... And how I would love it because he could like actually pick me up and like carry me places. Pick you up like a so baby. obviously my, my heart swooned when I saw her doing that. I was like, <laughs> oh man, I would love for that. Admittedly, <laughs> she looks great as she, she looks way better than Hulk Hulk. Uh, totally. Totally. But yeah, no, I think it's going to be interesting. It's definitely like, I don't think it's as much my thing just because I don't know. I'm not like. I'm not as, like, traditionally feminine, and I think I, like, missed out on a lot of that kind of positive female energy in my life. <laughs> I don't know how to explain that. <laughs> um, but I'll be interested to see it. And I think the one thing I'm, like, a little hesitant about is, you know, this is clearly going to have a feminist angle to it, which I think is really important, um, especially just to have, like, a a female superhero that's talking about, like, dating in your 30s, I think is... Um, something that you know is i think is a great thing to put out there it's just like not something that people always think about um but i do wonder if it's going to be a little bit like a bit white feminine feminism e uh but so i'm interested to see how like the other characters are going to interact with this main character um because i don't like like we tried the sex in the city reboot and that like went fine but <laughs> i love to see just how they handle that yeah, I mean, I'm excited for Marvel to, like, every time they're branching off into different genres and exploring that. So, like I said, action comedy, if they lean more towards, like, the slapstick 80s romantic comedies, like, I'd be super thrilled. Because that's a genre I love that, you know, for especially for comic books. Like, it's a op- it's an open playing field for that kind of stuff. I've been, you know, watching a lot of, uh, what is it called? Oh, I was... <laughs> 
obviously I've been annoying Emilia with because I've been watching Umbrella Academy seasons one and two. I just binge them all in a week, <laughs> and I'm like loving that show so much. Partly because the reasons I love Peacemaker, it's because it has like a even though it's weird and dark at times, it really has a sense of like like just random funniness that just is cut through it like a really great sense of humor and honestly like i i like it when these comic book stories you know they can lean lighter i'm so sick of the really dark depressing dour dc universe kind of stuff like so anytime they kind of lean towards this uh comedic side it makes me happy and i definitely want to watch it for that yeah, reason i think this is a good follow-up for uh, multiverse of madness being the way it was if they're going to go into this whole like oh this is more of a comedy type thing uh which is it definitely seems like that's going to be the case i'm i'm all for it and uh you guys are gonna hear me talk about this when when we start covering it but the comic books are absolutely uh, especially the more recent ones are absolutely great they're Mm -hmm. funny they're they're heartwarming and they're they're filled with action so i am i am excited so i'm gonna put this down as treasure i will back you up treasure treasure Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put it as that looks okay just because of my slight misgivings because as much as I'm down for a let's bash all white men kind of show, I don't want all of the bashing to be done by a white woman. But I think Marvel will surprise me. I think they will. I, I, I mean, so far, like with all of their properties so far, they've been blowing away my expectations. So that looks okay, but I think going to end up being a treasure yeah i say i hope it's a treasure i definitely want it to be a treasure so let's hope let's hope they deliver well i'm assuming we're going to cover it on the show I'm, so i guess we can i'm, I'm we're pretty find sure out. <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure okay so we seem mostly across the board with treasure emily being hesitant and still staying in the uh the, that looks okay camp but that's that's okay <laughs> so with that did anybody else catch the boys season three trailer oh yeah i intentionally didn't yep. want to watch it because i just want to watch the show but then i did watch it for this segment today i did i did watch it wow there's a lot of plot lines that they're going to be exploring a lot in season yeah. three <laughs> it was hard to make sense of the trailer i'll just say that like i I felt like they were just machine gunning us with all these like cool clips and things. But the one through line that I got is that Homelander is becoming more unhinged, which I didn't know was possible. Um, and that's cool. And then Jen- Jensen Eccles showed up. Jensen Eccles. That yeah. was cool. No, I, I, I love him. So. Yeah. Anyway, Jensen Eccles, yes. right? What did I say? Did I say that? Jensen Eccles. You said Eccles. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, he's anyway. If people don't know who he is, he's from uh, Supernatural, twenty seasons of that show, or whatever it it's, was, and he was good every. He was season. absolutely he was. great every single season, and uh, my mom always likes to remind me that he was also in Days of Our Lives. Because <laughs> the very first <laughs> wow. time, like, lest we forget the other, the other like twenty million season show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. man, that guy's got to own a lot of property. So I, I guess, I guess, if on that track record, so the boys. It, we're like only just touching the surface. There's gonna be like 25 seasons. Yeah, maybe it'll be like 30 yeah. seasons. Yeah. He's got a. He needs a stable job. Clearly, as an actor, <laughs> I'll only take this show if it's stable. He, yeah, he, I like that. No, no, okay. he makes shows stable. 
Oh, that's geez. true. There we go. That's very true. So if they kill him off in this season, we know it's yeah. done. Um, it seems like every time we bring up the boys, uh, Emilia likes to remind us of Anthony Starr's dead eyes. And there's at times <laughs> where I look at him and I'm like, she's you're dead on right about it. And in this trailer, they seemed even deader, which it I did was not think on feature. <laughs> yes. He had so many close ups in this trailer of him just staring down the barrel of the camera. <laughs> God, his smile. Wait, because wasn't the do that wasn't like the tease like a couple months ago? Wasn't it literally just a close up of him? Did them like slowly yeah. pan yeah. zooming into yeah. <laughs> the eyes. Yeah. You know, it's a good point. Lucas did make a good point, though. This trailer, it was basically showing that uh, Homelander is becoming more unhinged, which seems not humanly possible. But he's not really human, so (laughs) I guess there's that. Uh, But, like, almost to the point that it's, like, of concern for their people. Like, people, like, were afraid of Homelander, but now it's like, ooh, you okay, man? Like, they're like, there's something wrong. Uh and yeah, he's totally gonna go off the deep end. Um, also, yeah. the the deep, the, the deep was in. But we got trailer. so little of the deep in this trailer. Sk- Sk- I, like, it's only oh, like two shots. Yeah, of one of him now. walking with Homelander, another one of just like a reaction shot. I would say I'm a little like disappointed with that. He's getting reinstalled. Like, like they're gonna be like, he did his time. You know, he got me too. Mm-hmm. So we, we'll just let him back because. Did- because he's a really, he's really a good guy deep down. And, and did A Train have a different uh-huh. color suit on? Oh. Deep down, nice. Was that, well was done. that intentional? I don't know. <laughs> it was totally intentional. Uh, <laughs> I actually missed A Train in that trailer. He's again also only in like one or two yeah, shots. But it looks yeah, like he has a different color outfit. Quick. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was. It was a brief moment with A Train, um, but the, obviously the 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 big takeaways from the trailer was Jensen Ackles is coming into this season as a new superhero um and then butcher becomes the soup temporarily get some superpowers mm-hmm. for yeah 24 hours or something is which i was a little upset they they teased that i was like oh I, that would have been a fun surprise but i feel know. like that would have been like them ending that on an episode everyone would have been like no like like becoming the one thing he's vowed to destroy like what mm-hmm. what so i there's definitely obviously gonna be more than that but uh also was anyone just like w- freaked out seeing like huey in a suit i was like that just <laughs> well no oh, but yeah. That was, yeah, yeah butcher's gonna... boss yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> turn right it seems like they my understanding of like this this arc of the season is that they try to go legit to take down the soups and vaught from the yeah, inside like, legally like they try to do it corporately and then um that's not gonna work so like one solution is soldier boy and potentially like a whole host of other heroes associated with him and another route is becoming soups temporarily uh and and then the the reason the thing they have to take down mainly is homelander who's yeah experiencing the fallout from (laughs) seasons one and two yeah, it, um, it's not you, – you did say it. It's not just uh, Soldier Boy, but he his uh, squad that he is a part of, which is called Payback. Um, mm. Seems like they're going to try Subtle. and bring them back to uh, to help take down this, the seven. I'm calling it now. They're going to play James Brown's Payback <laughs> during nice. this at, at some point, which is a wonderful song, by the way. So, I just, all right, like... so what do we think of the trailer, though? Is it uh, – were we happy with it? 
I'm going to I'm going to play Emilia's part here and I'm going to be like, "Hey, that looks okay." That's how I feel. I'm going to agree just cuz it's like, yeah, Bridget said it first, like it's it's a lot. They put a lot into that trailer. Yeah, and, and honestly, the the show is probably going to be great. I'm going to watch it. I'll probably love it. But the trailer, I was like, I don't know what the hell's going on or I know too much that's going on, but it's messy and weird it was just i'm not i'm not blown away by the trailer itself i'll put it that way yeah i i feel like there was nothing like mind boggling about it like i feel like there was nothing that made me like jump out of my seat and go like like there was like this is what we expected like more or less like i guess Mm -hmm. but well that show is so entertaining like once you start watching it it's like so hard to stop so that's why i'm like not yeah gonna like put too much emphasis on the trailer because seasons one and two like i think like i've never been so captivated by a tv show in my life i swear (laughs) yeah Yeah. you know i'm putting it out there because uh the big i guess cliffhanger from season two wasn't really addressed at all in the trailer you get a shot of the character but that's it and i'm worried that they're not going to fully flush this out Ooh, that would kind of suck. Yeah, that's that's why I'm a little hesitant because they didn't give enough of it in the trailer. But maybe again, that could be them saving the one thing for that. Yeah, for the season. Yeah, definitely. Because I think that's the one thing they did very well transitioning from season one to two is they did carry over all the storylines that were not mm-hmm. finished, essentially. If you want to say, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I'm gonna say that looks okay. Also, because I don't think like there was nothing like oh amazing, but like I I know that I'm gonna still find the show beyond entertaining and the boys like if you haven't seen it like you like any you like if you like action if you like superheroes if you like comedy like any of the above and you like drama there's drama. a good they have a good balance uh, if you like and a lot of good blood. vicious violence blood yeah. if you like horror <laughs> horror not horror but. Violence. There was some gore in that trailer. There was. That, yeah. There was a lot of know, blood. They're not pulling punches. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no. Definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. So, so that looks okay. So it seems we're all on board. So across on this. the board, yeah. we all say that Did looks we okay. Agree? Yeah. I think the, so. The, the rare uh, quadfecta. <laughs> wow. Squadfecta? <laughs> oh! But I'm. All right. Well, that wraps up our trailer, trash, treasure, or hey, that looks okay. Emphasizing the T and that looks okay. Our T3. Uh, love to hear what our listeners or verslings out there think about these uh, trailers. And if you're just going to tell us about the, the computer graphics on She-Hulk, um, I'd ask you please don't waste your time <laughs> commenting on our – there's plenty of other threads you can go on to complain about that on. Yeah. So I think it's time for our next – Our next segment, Star Trek Academy, session two, class class number two. The Wrath of Longacre, (laughs) Star Trek Academy two. Well, hello, everyone. Wait a second. I'm back. Class, grab your seats and put down your phasers. We're about to begin. I'm Admiral Longacre. Welcome to the verse. Star Trek Academy. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Verse Squad. On a mission... Will this be on the test? No, 
but we may give the Kobayashi Maru a whirl. So, Admiral, you're setting us up for failure. What? We can l- discuss this later, number one. As you remember, last session, we entered Strange New Worlds. We discussed some basic Star Trek lore and characters. This week, we're going to cover two more episodes of Strange New Worlds. And be warned, in the coming weeks, we will have some homework. Boo. Boo. Homework. Oh, that stinks. <laughs> All right, don't worry. It's a fun homework assignment where you will watch other Star Trek series and episodes that connect to the big picture. It's still homework. Get out of here. Yeah, we're not over this homework branding. <laughs> Are you kidding me? If I have to do anything consider it, remotely later Consider it space work. Space work. Will there be adjectives or adverbs on this test? Uh, in the future, they have streamlined the English language with the universal translator, so you don't have to worry about oh, that. Oh, thank goodness. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'm a little more on board now. Yeah, we can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> So for episode two, Children of the Comet, while on a survey mission, the USS Enterprise discovers a comet is going to strike an inhabited planet. And while trying to unlock the comet's secrets, Pike and number one deal with a group of zealots who want to prevent any interference. So what I loved about this episode personally is that it felt like completely out of, uh, you know, original series Star Trek episode. Um, and also it actually had a little bit of mix in of like next generation, because if you recall, it begins with uh, Ahura, who we actually get to learn about her character. In fact, in many ways, she is the, you know, the, the point of view of this episode. It's really about, you know, her journey, her backstory. But I love how it starts out with them going to the captain's dinner. And that's something very unique. Like, I feel like every captain has their own kind of thing uh, that they bring, like, whether it's Picard or Janeway or Cisco or Archer. And, and you get the feeling from Pike, he seems like one of the best captains to have because he's going to invite you over for dinner. He's going to cook for you. You know, and I love that everybody shows up casual and they kind of prank Ahura and she shows up dressed in like, you always prank the new the newbie. So she shows up dressed in like her, her formal mm-hmm. wear. Um, but then we get to really meet all the other characters and see them interact, not in a crisis mode, not when the ship's on fire, but just them as people. And I really like that. I, for me, that's like already they're doing something really smart with this show, which is, you know, allowing us to explore these different characters and see how they interact together. Because that's part of the pleasure of these ensemble casts is like the dynamics between all the different crew. Yeah, I liked that she was also highly unamused by the prank. Um, <laughs> yes. She's just like, look, I'm already kind of an outcast here. What, like, Why? <laughs> Well, so I appreciate yeah, and what's interesting about her character in this one. I mean, you never really got to see know that too much of her backstory. In fact, they, they used to not really explore backstory very much in the in the older series, the original series. But you you find out that Ahura's parents died tragically with and her younger brother in a shuttle accident, which is, by the way, is why you should always use transporters. <laughs> Don't listen to bones. You should always use transporters. But um, uh, and this idea, though, that she she got into Star Starfleet because she just couldn't deal with going to uh, University of Nairobi because it like her parents taught there and it was just too, too hard for her. So then she joined Starfleet instead, which is funny because you see everybody else's reactions on the ship are like, okay, you just, you know, as your second choice, join Starfleet. This is like most people's main goal in life is to serve in Starfleet. That was, that was the most and interesting so part to interesting me was that she came, yeah. that she, not only that, that she just openly admitted to everyone there on the flagship of the entire Federation that she just didn't know any better. Like she, she knew better, but 
like that, like she wasn't sure if she was Starfleet material, that if she wanted to go through with it. And the only reason why she did was because of her grandmother and stuff like that. That took a lot of guts and it shows that she has a strong character besides the fact that like the rest of the episode shows how good of a character she actually is. Yeah, that was, um, that was a good flex. (laughs) (laughs) She just, um, I like that. She's just like, she's honest. Um, and she doesn't really like, she's honest about not thinking that the prank is funny. She's honest when people ask her anything, regardless, like she's not thinking about like, how's this going to affect my status? How's this going to affect my relationship with, like the captain and the crew. Um, just like, look, this is who I am. And uh, I don't like have another way of going about life other than like being authentically that. Yeah. And, and by the way, she's played by Celia, uh, Celia Rose Gooding, um, <clears throat> who is by the way, a Broadway actor before being cast in Star Trek. And I don't think she, I think it was a huge surprise that she actually got this role. Um, and there's some other interesting characters that she gets to interact with in this episode that are on the ship. Uh, one of them actually, who's really uh, interesting that only is kind of mentioned briefly in this episode. You kind of see her where she's flirting with Spock is a uh, nurse, Christine chapel. Yes. <laughs> and I did not pick this up. Norm, did you recognize this from the first episode? I didn't realize that this is who the character was. So nurse chapel um, is from the original uh, series of TOS. Wait, the did ori- you say Star Trek, the original series nurse, nurse, what chapel? <laughs> Nurse Chapel. Christine. Christine Chapel. Christine Chapel. Yeah. So this was played okay. by... Um, <laughs> uh, what do you think I said? No, no. She, she's she's laughing at the name, and I, I get why. Um, well, it, originally, this character was in uh, was in the series played by... Um, uh, what's her called? Who, um, Roddenberry's wife, or it was kind of his mistress who became his wife, oh. who was in... Not, who was originally cast as number one in the pilot of the of the original series but then they didn't like having a woman and an alien on on the ship they thought that was too much for audiences so then she she was recast as nurse chapel and she was in all three seasons um who and then eventually would go on to in next generation she would also play um uh, uh what is it um troy's mother who's a recurring character across many seasons so anyway i didn't realize that this character was a legacy character um because she's actually very different than the portrayal in the original series. Yeah. But I just thought that was an interesting little Star Trek fact that escaped me the first episode. I mean, right away, I'm, I'm already starting to feel like connection to some of these characters. And the one that I feel the most connection to is, uh, is it Lieutenant Ortegas? The one who pulls the oh, prank yeah, at, at the, the front. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she, I can see myself really liking this character because she seems more, like, like she can turn on the actual, oh, duty time and time to, to do what we need to get done. And then, hey, it's not. Let's let's have some fun. And I always enjoy those characters. So, Yeah, she brings a lightheartedness that I really appreciate uh, to the role, which I was saying how I loved Kirk originally because he was fun. Like he would bring so much joy to the job. Uh, and it, I feel like she has a similar vibe where she's kind of like can play it cool and but also be serious. So... Oh, like, I know that, um, like, this is a new show, a new series, yada, yada. But something that I definitely want to clarify, uh, so, like, what is everyone's, like, role on the ship? Because I feel like that's, like, something that's not, like, necessarily explained right off the gate. Because, like, when you watch the former movies and former Star Trek TV shows, it's, it's more explained in those places than here. 
you just kind of jump into the story That's a line. great question. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's something that I, that I think you take for granted when you watch Star Trek, that there's like the engineering department, then there's security, then there's, you have to think of it sort of like a naval ship. Um, but at the same time, there's like these established careers that you can go into once you're in Starfleet. And in fact, that's how it starts, where you hear Pike talking about a story, uh, like a, a funny story about him where he was just starting out as a, as a cadet and he was trying to be in security and then he failed miserably with his pants fell down and he tripped over him or something. Um, but that's the idea is that like there's all these different uh, departments you can go into. And if you watch Lower Decks, which I guess you haven't, they explore that more because you actually get to see people who are trying to choose where they will end up you know, belonging in Starfleet. Yeah, and uh, my favorite uh, that I just mentioned, uh, Lieutenant Ortegas, is the helmsman. So she's driving the ship. Yes. She's the pilot, yeah. Oh, that's gotcha. cool. Yeah, and so uh, and uh, Uhura is um, on comms, so she's communications, and that's why you know she speaks all those languages, um, you know, which would make sense why they send her to, down on the comet, which is what they end up doing. Is there's this comet that's hurling towards this planet where there's actually some alien life forms on there who are kind of primitive, uh, but you know, it's Starfleet. It's even though they're not supposed to interfere, as we discussed last episode, they're not really supposed to interfere with civilizations if they're pre-warp, but. Directly. They can also not let them die. Yeah. They can't directly <laughs> exactly interfere, but like, you know, moving a comet, just, you know, scotching it a, a few, yeah. a, a few million miles is, you know, that, that's, that's fine. It's, it's a comforting idea. <laughs> like if we were that, if we were that, um, primitive planet. <laughs> yes. Well, I guess yeah, like even... one of the things I was thinking about too is like when they go on these missions, like the whole idea of number one and number two, and you were saying like last episode last session professor uh you said like how there's a recurring theme like the number two never makes it back no number just the red shirt oh no we're saying the red shirt oh the red shirt the red shirt like but how did they decide <laughs> red shirts like, never make it who's back. the red shirt like is that just they always kill the red shirt or red... does like someone be like i well, volunteer I, I think a tribute as red shirt <laughs> well red shirt <laughs> seems to always be with the security team right in in the original Pretty much, yeah. yeah. So they're... they'd beam down and they'd be I have a red shirt that was security, yeah. yeah. Well, that kind of makes sense well, then. <laughs> they would not necessarily always make it back. And also, you don't want to send your engineering department out on planet to get you know eaten by an alien. Your ship wouldn't be running very well, right? Uh, so everyone uh, always forgets that Spock is the chief science officer, which is which yes. is which is a little weird on a spaceship to be just like oh we just have like a blanket science officer yeah but you know you're gonna run into some crazy anomalies that only science can figure out and understand right? he's just kind of like a general problem solver yeah that's what i mean it's like it's like it seems like a very it's true though what is his actual job like because my dad's a scientist he he's never solved any anomalies in outer space like that he never like but i guess the idea is you have to we have to figure out how to change the trajectory of this comet that's something spock would but, do but also so he's a creative thinker very i mean you saw it when they were down there with uh, on the uh, the comets. I don't not surface because they were in like interior. Actually. Yeah, they yeah. were in an interior. Um, that he also studied music. Like mm-hmm. he's very versatile. That 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 he he can carry a tune a little bit. He can harmonize. A yeah. little he understands bit. math. He understands music. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. To two go definitely go so, hand in hand. What do you I have think some questions for everybody. Spotify though. playlist is. <laughs> <laughs> we should actually post the Spotify playlist. I like this idea. We'll post it on the verse. Um, but I have some questions for class today. 
Uh, one is how are we feeling about Ethan Peck as Spock and the, the character of Spock in general? I quite enjoy Spock, but I've also never had any other viewings of Spock. <laughs> no, but that's why I'm very curious to hear your answers. Because for me, I think he's doing a great job. I really like this his portrayal of him. I really like him. But I have him. too many Spocks on the brain to begin with, so I'm like, I feel like I'm polluted with Spock. He's very endearing. For being... I feel like he's consistent. Yeah. Like, carrying on the legacy. Um... I think there's, like, a lot of, like, they're already, I feel like they're going very quickly to this whole, like, okay, he's Vulcan and he's got these Vulcan-y character traits. He, like, see, you know, very, very controlled emotions and feelings, but you know, they're going very quickly to the whole, like, but he's also very, very human and he's very, um, like, sensitive and, like, has all of these unexpected things, like, he can sing he studied music. He, like, has a, a Vulcan wife or something at home who's, like, just waiting for him to get back uh, so she can jump his bones. But, <laughs> like, they just, they went very quickly to that just to be, like, right off the bat, they're like, we know what you think Spock is. Uh, and we know that, like, eventually he's going to have this character development. So we're just going to bring it now. <laughs> Let's not wait. He's in a, yeah, we're just in a dump it all at your feet and uh, watch him have to navigate I'm, that. I've never been a really big Spock fan. Uh, yeah, oh. I know. I know. Like this, Heresy. Is, this is, this is my, my, oh my God. place where we disagree. A, a bunch of people like throwing stones at me who are Trek fans. Um, but yeah, I like Leonard Nimoy as Spock and I thought he did a great job. I loved Zachary Quinto as Spock in the movies. Mm -hmm. I thought he did an absolutely amazing job. Um, and Ethan Peck is doing a lot of heavy lifting following those two actors. I mean, yeah. and he's doing a really good job of portraying Spock from my viewings. So I'm enjoying him mm -hmm. as Spock. I just, I just don't absolutely love the Spock character. I actually liked older Leonard Nimoy Spock in the new J.J. Abrams movies than I did when he was young Spock in the the original series or in Next Generation. A couple oh, times he shows up so funny because for me like that's the og character like that is when i was a kid that was like why i liked the original star trek series actually i kind of love bones too so so does um, that mean that like how does the fandom work like if you're a spock person uh like what are the what is everyone else are they like kirk people is there a duality or well, is it like anyone emily this is a crazy good question because <laughs> Like, I grew up, like, I did not like Captain Kirk very much. And I, I had so many friends who loved, they, they only loved Star Trek because they loved Captain Kirk. They just loved him. And I was like, he's so cheesy. Oh, my God. Like, Spock, he's the, the man of, of, of logic and reason. And I just loved Leonard Nimoy's portrayal. And, but honestly, now that I've gotten older and I've gone back and rewatched, I'm like, the only reason the show works, the original one, is because you have a... a, a a swaggering captain who's so much fun to who, like I said, has so much fun every episode. He's like so happy to be there. Uh, so I've come full circle, but truly it's like a divisive thing in the fandom. And even the actors themselves were constantly competing with their egos over her. Like who was the actual lead? Cause Shatner was the lead of the show and he would always, there was a lot of tension between the two of them uh, in their lives and in, you know, in the, uh, in the public domain, whatever, in the, in the press about their egos clashing because like, Spock was kind of the more popular character at first. Like he's the one that really hit in pop culture because of like the live long and prosper and all that. 
And that's the thing that Ethan Peck has really big, uh, you know, uh, ears to fill <laughs> or whatever, because it's truly like a iconic character that, so he has to stay within bounds of the character, but then he has to kind of put his own stamp on it. And I feel like it's a tough challenge. And I think this, this actor is doing a, a great job um, of kind of walking that tightrope. I want to talk about one big thing in this episode that I think happens that, that I just want to touch upon. And it reminded me more of next generation Star Trek mm-hmm. than the original series was how they compared religion by the use of this comet. And mm-hmm. it's so fun. I love seeing Star Trek do this. They use science fiction to, and in a very weird and outlandish way to explain to you and give you a different view on something that's very grounded in our day-to-day lives. Um, whether or not you are religious, you've definitely faced religion day in and day out. And they brought it full circle in this to like, okay, these guys are weird, but wait a minute. Something also is weird here. And it just makes for a beautiful story, I think. Yeah. And I like that the characters weren't like they, they were trying to navigate it without being offensive. And, you know, like with uh, Captain Pike, he was just trying to solve the situation. And by the way, his captaining style, did you pick up on this? That reminded me of Echoes of Picard, where he's like, you know, truly these religious zealots are blasting them with torpedoes and they're just trying to like defend themselves. And he literally is like, all right, give me options. What can we do? And he throws it out to the crew. And then Ortega is like, I can do this crazy move or whatever. All right, this sounds great. Let's try that. So it's like him delegating, listening to his, his, uh, his crew and trusting them. It's like this, somebody called Star Trek, uh, competency porn. (laughs) And I totally agree. Like, that's the kind of world I want to live in where people like are good at their jobs and they trust each other to do it and they're professionals about it, damn it, even when like the stakes are high. And so for me watching a Star Trek show, th- I'm telling you, this one gave me just the wonderful feels of like why I love watching Star Trek is because of that kind of like the drama's happening and it's not about them bickering amongst each other. It's about them co- collaborating to try to fix the problem, right? Like no, that's, that's cool. <laughs> such a thing. Like I feel like it's so hard to find in a leader. Like people are always just like, ugh. I want to, I'm supposed to like listen to my team and collaborate, but I also have to be strong and decisive. And it's like, as if those two things don't exist. <laughs> yeah, you can, <laughs> together. you can have them both at the same time. Yeah. Uh, just, just look at Captain Pike, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we didn't mention that. So Melissa Navia plays Lieutenant uh, Erica Ortegas, who I think is also great in this. But by the way, please follow her on uh, Twitter. She has a great Twitter feed where she's always like complimenting and talking about her other, with her co-stars about the show. But also she gets all this like hatred fan reaction about her haircut. What? It's so weird. Really? She like she so but the funny thing is she trolls people who overreact about her haircut. And it's part of her Twitter thing that is cracking me up. But anyway, go give her a follow if you can. Um What what is yeah, the she definitely has an The short-haired like? people have I to guess. stick together. <laughs> Yeah, the undercuts. Exactly. Were... <laughs> the undercuts. By the way, that's almost the haircut I had when I was a skater kid when I was younger. So I'm yes. very partial to that hairstyle. Again, I love her. I love her character. I want more of her. And sadly, only got again only a little glimpse of her in this next in the episode following. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask this though. So, um, yeah. So you can follow her at Melissa Sinavia. Um, which is her name with, you know, C, I guess is her middle initial. Uh, but she's definitely a lot of fun to follow on Twitter and give her some compliments for her awesome haircut. Um, 
one of the things that I loved about this episode, Norm, was the idea of that they to figure out the the secret, they use part of the character's story arc, which is Ahura, her like humming when she's nervous, yes. and then which is like the the way to to communicate with this um, comet was through music. And I I was really curious to hear what Emily's take was on this because like, you're kind of a resident musician and like music, uh, what's it called, uh, expert. Um, so did you find that like compelling, interesting, or did it totally like seem lame? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was like, <laughs> it was believable enough, right? That the, I mean, I, there's, a, there's a lot of like suspension of dis- disbelief you need for a show like this, but um, I was like, I was trying my best to pay attention to the to the logic of it, right? It was the interval, like the their language is musical intervals. <laughs> is that what we're saying? That's what we're going with. I just know Spock had to harmonize, and I was in, I was all aboard for that. <laughs> and so then, like, I'm like the like I'm not a linguist, unfortunately, so I'm struggling to understand how that <laughs> translates to so, a language. Um... One of the biggest theories that was proposed by Carl Sagan and the reason why on Voyager, the act, the actual Voyager that was shot out in the space to go that's now beyond uh, the Oort cloud or into the Oort cloud, I should say, um, has a golden disc on it. And in it, it has music from from us because his big theory is, is music is math. Math is a universal language. It's it's a universal constant almost in, in, in many respects. So his idea was um, there's a picture of a uh, a hydrogen atom on the um, disk and the word basic building yeah, block helium. Block. So they, they can figure out like, OK, this is how our language works. And then there's tons of music from the archives that they put on this golden disk for them to play. Because, again, music, math, universal language, they could figure out a lot from our about our civilization if they find this they find voyager wasn't there uh i i think i remember at some point reading about this supposedly there was some sort of debate about whether or not to put mozart on it because it might be seen as like too much of a flex (laughs) (laughs) he's just too he's too tough just be like no like we can't give them mozart they'll think that we're bragging sound like violent crazy people um I, i did not know that but i could totally believe it so I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I'd be curious to hear Norm's thoughts on it too, as the other resident like music person. Um, working within music and knowing how stingy people can be, uh, and how it's um, many parts of music is subjective. Because you know, one person likes country music, another person likes hip hop, another person likes classical, another person likes you know down and dirty Delta rock. So, you know, there's there's all these different genres of music and it's all, um, you know, it's all subjective. But the one thing that, that is true and universal is these harmonies and there's different ways of harmonizing. So I thought that was interesting, especially because when Ahura is humming, she is not humming in a scale that is what's considered classical, um, you know, uh, <laughs> like class like western music exactly it's um, it's, it's not 18th, considered yes it's not considered 18th century, century old white man music it's 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 different harmonies and that's that's something that's also important to understand that music doesn't follow a very strict rule but you know uh, that's i don't want to music geek out on this one too much so 
Well, that was well, no, just see, a that's nice what... reminder of like what you know. This was this relied heavily on um, like quote unquote music theory. Yes. But when people think of music theory and music history, they tend to think of Mozart, Beethoven, eighteen hundreds yeah. yeah. tradition European. of Western European <laughs> composers, um, which is actually like very very specific when you think about like what is supposed yes. to make up the building blocks of music. It's very so rigid. This is a nice little. Yeah, it's very rigid. Subtle and, dig and that. Kudos to the um, department for developing the fact that she was not in like that major scale. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that was, like I said, part of the storytelling of the episode is that that's how they learned to communicate with the comet. And then that gets broadcast by the comet. So her ship is like, remember, they're like, what is this thing that it's, it's broadcasting? They're like, oh, it's a Kenyan song. And they're like, oh, my God, that's got to be Ahura. So it was a really cool way of like tying it into the story, into the character. And it, it made a lot of sense. Um, I also love how the new red shirt, and I'm hoping that they do this every time, supposedly. Some of the buzz I was hearing is that. So every time Sam Kirk goes down, he's going to be the red shirt who gets like <laughs> almost disabled or somehow yeah, survives gets, every time. Yeah, exactly. He's going to be like maimed and knocked unconscious and kidnapped. And so we have a, a, a bet going, I guess, online, whether Sam Kirk is going to just be the eternal red shirt for all these episodes. <laughs> Episode three, the ghosts of Illyria. Um, this one definitely is also a very classic Star Trek scenario, which is there's a sickness on board the ship and like, Usually these would be reserved for a bottle episode where you essentially are on the ship the whole time. But this, we also have the captain and Spock who are beamed down onto the surface and they're trying to like problem solve stuff on the surface as well. But you, so you do kind of get this like on the ship, on the surface dynamic, which is also kind of a classic Trek uh, setup. But the idea is there's a, a pandemic on board and they have to quarantine. So I feel like this one, they were definitely, uh, you know, what's it called referencing modern uh, topics, which Norman and I have talked about over and over is like, this is why we like watching star Trek is they like take a modern issue and put it into the future and they can explore it from so many different angles. But this one definitely focused more on two different characters. Yeah. We're getting a lot of like deep backstory with each episode. A couple deep backstories. Actually you get, you get number one, you get uh, this now chief security officer, Lan Nunian Singh. Nunian Singh, I know that's yeah. Part of it. <laughs> uh, and then you also get Doctor Mabenga's uh, backstory a little bit. Yeah, because this is a medical issue, so they have to come up with like a medical solution, which I always love those episodes of Star Trek. Personally, this incorporated a lot because they also had like this whole thing about the Illyrians and how they're banned because of genetic engineering, and it's kind of being portrayed as like a like one of those classic like metaphors for like racism, say, or like other mm-hmm. kinds of bigotry, um, where it makes you question, like, what, you know, what's the real meaning behind this kind of ban? And how does that actually affect people? What are the stories that people believe in, etc.? Admiral, is this the time where we bring up the eugenic wars? <laughs> oh, Lord. I say we just focus on the episode <laughs> so that we don't overload their processors. But that is flag that, uh, number one, flag that for, for a later discussion for Got sure. Got it. Uh, but yes, you're you're absolutely right, um, Emilia, that in some ways, because race isn't a, a factor in the future, right? Like humans aren't, like racism doesn't exist anymore, but racism itself or prejudice, I should say, is has not, 
is not gone at all. In fact, it's something that we will revisit over and over again in many shows about how, you know, whether it's different alien species that people are prejudiced against, or in this case, it's actually humans that are enhancing themselves. And uh, so Rebecca Romaine, it turns out, has, you know, not only hidden her genetic enhancements, but she lied to get into Starfleet. Um, and it's actually like grounds for dismissal. And so by her ad like admitting she lied to get into Starfleet could should end, end her career, um, as you see in this episode. Um, Again. Uh, so what did, what did everybody think of this well, one? Well, this – Because this, I really appreciated the last this one. This made me one, really yeah. like Pike more because – Again, mm -hmm. he started reminding me of Picard. Like you just said in the last episode, he had that I want options, let me get and trusting his crew. On yeah. this, the very end where he's like, I see no reason why this should even be a question. You are the model of why we should be talking about this. So mm -hmm. starting to really, really like this character. Yeah. I mean, I liked the I I liked the idea of like having a modern issue in a futuristic world brought up because I feel like I, I watch I'm a big fan of Grey's Anatomy. Emily and I have to, we've brought this yes. up several times, and Grey's Anatomy is <laughs> yes. like notorious for pulling like plot lines that are happening in like modern day America into their storytelling. But it's like, but that's like you know, it's done. It in uh, different degrees of ham-fistedness. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's very intriguing to see this in a totally different, like, world. Like, if I was to see something like this, like, if COVID went to Star Wars, like, I'd be like, whoa, like, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, so seeing Star Trek kind of tackle the same idea is pretty cool. Like, it's not like anything I've ever seen before. Yeah, and it's not yeah. it's not just uh, COVID. It's also, I mean, maybe I missed this, or maybe this is just me processing this in a different way. Was there all were they also touching upon the opioid uh, pandemic that or epidemic that we have? Oh, I didn't even think about that. But I, like how the the disease was manifesting itself, people would just like comp you had to be in the light, yeah. right? So they and there was a cool little creepy horror sci-fi yes, vibe going on here, which I liked. People putting their faces through, you know, glass and you know just acting all like sketchy. And honestly, Norm, now that you bring it up, the opioid thing, yeah, because people were being really like sketchy and and ruthless with uh, needing to get that That's, light. It would transform get those them. photons. Yeah, yeah. It's actually a metaphor for. Uh, coming out of winter, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, listen, living in Portland for years, yeah, that's how every time the sun would shine in spring, you'd be like acting the same way. So that definitely hit home. The light, um, the light. Yeah. I, I think I so like this one Do a little Dr. more, Dr. Mabenga definitely gets, you know, some some action in this one and gets to like essentially sacrifice himself in some ways. Um, uh but you realize he's also kind of the problem, right? He's kind of the cause of it. Inadvertently, as they explore yes. a little bit of his inadvertently, yeah, they explore his backstory. Uh, <clears throat> I guess we can spoil it for our audience, right? Because the, the insinuation is everybody's watched these episodes. But he has his daughter's pattern trapped inside the pattern um, buffer, the transporter. It's in the buffer of the transporter. So does that make sense? Did that did did y'all understand like what was happening there with the transporters? Because this is like a trope in Star Trek that has now been resurrected yeah, for this. I don't. Enough. I guess like it's sort of like I was following along with the show, but like you could tell that there was like 
They were, they were putting too much emphasis on it. I was like, I don't understand uh, why. Why is this like an issue? <laughs> Admiral, do you mind if I field this one? <laughs> Go for it. So a lot of times in uh, Star Trek, you will find out that there's redundancies on these ships, a ton of redundancies. And one of them is the pattern buffer in the transporter logs. And what it does is in case there's ever an issue, because the transporters are scrambling you down to like micron pieces of information and putting you back together. You know, tr- that's how th- they supposedly work. And to make sure that you're not contaminated while on a different surface, the pattern buffer looks at your, um, the, bu- the pattern you had before you went down and the one that's coming back. And what they try and do is they try and match it as perfectly as possible and scrub out any foreign antibodies, any, um, bacteria or viral things that you might be bringing back so the ship stays healthy okay yeah in a way they don't need to quarantine ever because of this reason Wait, because, so does like, that mean, it should remove any impurities would that like fix would that remove all diseases no. like that would that cure everything no because genetic diseases still exist okay but it would cure like bacterial viral yes. infections so, so if you went down and you had pink eye and you came back you wouldn't have pink eye that's amazing. But here's the thing that they don't get into, and this is getting super science nerdy. We have so much like bacteria in our body, so I guess they're keeping all that pattern mm-hmm. in there. But like the amount of bacteria you have in your gut that's healthy that processes all your food and everything, we're just going to assume that they're that good that they can like can just figure no trace every little thing that was actually in your body that is foreign but is belongs there, and that's the pattern buffer, I guess yeah. we would say. And then you'll see in maybe going forward that people get caught in there a good bit mm-hmm. or get re i don't want to i don't want to ruin anything so but the... you mean caught in there. they've explored so <laughs> much. well so his daughter though is saved yeah. in there and he keeps bringing her out every now and again because she can't just stay in there indefinitely but there has been episodes in star trek past yes. where people have been in there for like decades yes. um and like so it just felt like a like a minutes have gone by for them yet they've been in, saved inside of a pattern for de- a pattern buffer to, for decades so it, it has to, happened in to, to all my uh, TNG uh fellowship out there <laughs> shout out to uh Thomas Riker and uh and, <laughs> yes. and Scotty That yeah, seems like anyway. such a sci-fi thing a very sci-fi thing Oh yeah and it's it's made for some interesting episodes and some kind of silly episodes but there's also one where reggie gets remember where he gets uh sees like monsters in the transporter beam anyway there's been some great transporter based episodes throughout all of star trek but uh anyway i'm glad it wasn't that confusing to you and i was going to clear that up for you if it was like didn't make sense of why his daughter was suddenly like appearing and disappearing well i like this episode i think i like this episode a little bit more than the last one because i i enjoyed just being on the ship um mm-hmm. like the getting to see all those dynamics um lucas what did you call them bottle episodes bottle episode yeah that's where it's a, a self-contained episode this wouldn't necessarily be called that because they did get off the ship uh yeah. throughout it so but i like that because it's like uh it sets like it gives like a set of constraints and then the writers kind of get to flex within that so i thought it was cool mm-hmm. I love a good bottle episode. And honestly, though, like we really get to ex- the thing they're doing really well. Each of these episodes is exploring different characters, giving their backstory. And it doesn't feel forced. It feels it, like it naturally comes from the action that's unfolding from the plot. Um, so we did get to learn a lot. And then Nurse Chapel, you know, did some crazy DNA stuff. Right. Like she was, you know, every, they gave a lot of different characters, a lot of 
agency and did some cool stuff, even if they didn't totally, you know, succeed. But yeah, this was definitely a strong episode. Um, and personally, like the things that landed best for me is that it did have that little, that horror vibe, like the creepy horror vibe, which some episodes of Star Trek have done previously, but I think this one did maybe more effectively than even some other episodes. So Dr. Mabenga, who's played by Babs Olison-Moken, is, uh, you know, I really enjoy him as a doctor because, you know, the doctors every every Star Trek has, I think some of the doctors are some of the best characters they've ever had. If you go through Voyager, Beverly Crusher, uh, Dr. Bashir. Dude, so I, I, wanted to, I wanted to say it earlier, my favorite character from the original series is Bones. Is Bones. He's, no, Bones he's is... the one who makes the most sense in the <laughs> entire show. And Carl Urban plays Bones in the movies. So anyway, you're right. I mean, listen, shout out to our MDs out there, to our doctors. And um, I think he's a great, you know, a great fit. I forgot it was Carl Urban. He just shows up. Well, we've talked about this before. Wherever. He's everywhere. He is in he all of every universe. every corner of geekdom, <laughs> you find him. For someone who's so distinctive looking, too, I, ne- I, I don't notice him until after the fact. <laughs> No, and he's so like in in playing Bones, he nailed oh, the character 100%. of Bones. He's like paranoid and sarcastic, and you know, and and cynical. Uh, anyway, but we're talking about Doctor Mabenga, who, um, yeah, I, I kind of dig what he's bringing to the character. Which you know, this idea that he's a flawed character. He has like he's doing something that's ethically a little, well, not ethically wrong, but morally correct. It's right? Very, like he's very human. keeping his very human. Thank you. Yeah. And it gives him a lot of, yeah, it makes him instantly seem like a real person instead of just like a character trope, you know. Um, but I think we're going to get to explore him more. He, you know, he kind of gets taken out halfway through this episode oh. because uh, the, the virus the, gets the, him. Again, I just love, the, the thing I love about Star Trek is always them telling such human stories in such a weird way. Mm-hmm. And you find out Dr. Mabenga's purpose in going out there and trying to find things is to discover a cure. And isn't that like part of ex- exploration? You want to discover yeah. new ways of seeing life and saving life and preserving life. And it, mm-hmm. again, I love it. It's always beautiful. I can't stress it enough. Yeah, it's hopeful, right? It's like, it's the, it, and that's the, the mission of Starfleet, right? It's not to go conquer and to exploit. No, it's to explore and to learn more and to study. And I just love that about Starfleet. And, you know, the, that was great. And you said earlier how uh, this this episode uses Rebecca Romaine's character, um, who's who's playing the number one on the on the mm-hmm. ship, as the vehicle for understanding the like basically racism prejudice that that's coming out here. Mm-hmm. And you know she's she's giving a very solid performance. Uh, I thought they gave her a little bit to work with in this one, but I can see her character is going to develop even more and another, uh, another yeah. way, great storytelling way of doing this. Yeah. And they do have that relationship between number one and, uh, La'an Noonien Singh, who's played by Christina Chong, who I'm kind of liking her character. Cause she's a little bit acerbic and kind of a jerk. Yes. Like she's kind of like mean and has like a little chip on her shoulder. And again, like this idea is that, that this might be utopia, right? This future utopian future, but they're real people who have to live in it. Right. And this idea, you know, we learned that she also has had these, um, oh yeah, she's like the chief security officer. She was the number one, then got kind of demoted uh, once uh, Rebecca Romaine's character showed back up. Um, But she also is is enhanced as well. Yeah. So like, and you can see she's kind of like bitter at at 
um, number one for not revealing that she's been enhanced because she, I guess, was like bullied and picked on, you know, from from the bigotry of others yeah. uh, for having these enhancements done. Like it's she is like you're right. She is acerbic, but it's like you don't really dislike her because they've already introduced her and like all every step of the way been like here's a bit a bit of detail about her backstory that helps you understand where that came from and how these attitudes and behaviors were like a survival mechanism um Mm -hmm. while also backing up that like she is like really really smart and capable as well so it's it's an interesting mix for a character yeah yeah and they are setting it up that they're you know it's going to be about the relationships between the crew is going to be a huge part of this series. And it's not always going to be, you know, smooth. And that's great. Like, that's okay. That's kind of why we love watching these shows is by the, the different character dynamics. Um, and one of the characters we actually haven't really talked about uh, is uh, Hemmer, <laughs> played by Bruce Horak, who's actually is uh, vision impaired in real life. And they use that for his character in the show. Uh, who gets to go real crazy in this. He gets to have some fun which, in this episode going like... Which is why I thought it felt like it tied into the op- opioid uh, problems that we have. Oh, yeah, this, see, I didn't pick up on it, that, Norm. That's great. That's, yeah. right, my mind was like, wow, this I is... I was thinking too much COVID. Yeah, I, I was like, wow, this COVID is really touching on, brain, on COVID. Yeah. And then when that happened, plus, you know, people just trying to get to the light and whatnot, I was like, are they also commenting on, on opioids? Mm-hmm. On some kind yeah, of addiction, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that is a huge epidemic that's killing a lot of people as well. So, so um, and, yeah. uh, you know, really quickly, the number one on the ship is basically the second in command. They yes. are going to, um, if the captain goes down for whatever reason, they are assuming leadership. So, ooh, number one that everybody knows and loves and is probably the best number one is um, uh, yeah, Riker. William Riker. William Riker, who was like supposed to be the replacement Kirk. And instead he he owned that character and made, he definitely made it his own. He became William Riker. Who probably has more illegitimate children across the universe than even Kirk. <laughs> and that's saying something. <laughs> By the way, I just do want to do a shout out to the uh, away team uniforms. Did you guys see how rad those jackets were and like the whole outfits? Always. So I, I had the pleasure of speaking with the, the costume designer and like the amount of effort and the detail they put into those awesome costumes, which by the way, Norm... We got to make a deal. If we get to do a cosplay anywhere, we got to go with the the new uniforms. I love the new uniforms. When Ohora showed up in her class A's, I was like, "That's sharp." Yeah, yeah, man. They they're taking it to another level at this point. Like they know what works, and they get to play off the '60s. So I've talked with Bernadette Croft, who is the costume designer, and I literally was like, "Why are these so good? Like, why do I love these so much?" And she was like, "Well, it's you know, it's like fish in a barrel in a way because they're taking from the '60s and they're modernizing it. So a really cool, slick era." Uh, that did have some like sex appeal and then being able to update that uh, into modern or I guess like future times, whatever. Um, so if you think about it, it was a lot harder to take 90s fashion and make it look cool. <laughs> no comment. Not a fan. Yeah, Not no a comment, fan. But yes. All right. So any other questions, uh, Emilia, Bridget, uh, about for the about the cast, about the story? I think I'm good. Bridget's nodding. I feel like you're getting a handle on it. Emilia, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, did you pick up on... The tension between number one and Laan, La- I, I sorry, I really should have listened to them speak a little bit more often about this. Um, did you pick up on a little bit of the tension that the reason why? Yeah, I mean, well, I'm not exactly sure what their history was together, but 
at least when it came to the whole being genetically enhanced, like there's an interesting um like set of reactions there because uh they went through very different paths to like why they're enhanced now yeah. and their experience of that. Uh the security officer, right? She was she's the security, security officer. officer. Like mm-hmm. she has obviously experienced like a ton of discrimination. It was like it's a huge reason behind her trauma, whereas um whereas number one was like it just seemed like it was a normal part of life and she grew up in a relatively more like privileged space is what it seems like. And so that would like naturally breed resentment between two people who like ostensibly are facing like are on the same side or facing the same problems. But um, mm-hmm. I think it's it's a good reflection of what happens in real life uh, with various forms of bigotry. And that's like that's such a classic playbook for for those in power right is to divide and conquer like turn people Mm -hmm. against themselves somehow um whether it's through institutions or through unfair rules um inequity like discrimination i don't know the full history in this case but it seems like that's that that's at play admiral we definitely have to flag the uh, eugenics wars because it comes big in with this particular character yeah, we we will definitely revisit, and I'm curious to see what they do with this, the rest of the season. If if any of this stuff is going to actually come back, I have a feeling. That's the reason I kind of want to hold off, and is I have a feeling this might end up becoming a big, like a, a focus of an episode, not just like a side story. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have any confirmation, but I have a sinking feeling. You know, because of these two characters, it's such a big part of their storyline that I have a feeling this will come back. Oh, Emerald, the time. Oh. Yes, sorry, let's wrap up. Ah, welcome back, Lucas. Uh, you just missed the Admiral. No, I'm, it's, Luke, the, at, the Admiral, yeah. uh, they're the same, yeah. they're the same person. No. What are you trying to say? I mean, have you ever, you, no. Okay, he doesn't, yep. he doesn't get it, it's Okay. <laughs> Look, I, I have no idea what you're trying to say here, but I think it's time we, we wrap up. Be sure to subscribe to The Verse wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Also, you can reach out to us on Twitter, at The Versecast. Let us know what you think about the show. And if you want to follow me, Norm Felker, you can follow me on Twitter at random underscore white guy. You can follow me, Bridget Brogan, on Twitter and Instagram at BridgetBrogan16. You can follow me, Emilia, on Twitter at EmiliaU. You can follow me, Lucas Longacre, at Luconian Logic on Instagram and on Twitter. Finally, there's our producer, Stephen Prusikowski, who last we saw was like, had a ton of lights just all around him and he was just flickering them on and off. Um, he can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd as at FilmSnork. Oh no, well, there's our music. We better refuel the ship and prepare for our next cinematic universal journey. Thanks for listening. Keep sending in those questions and comments on our Twitter page. And we'll see you next time in The Verse. The Verse is presented by ScreenRadar.com and produced by Stephen Kruzakowski. You know, Lucas recently just spoke with Star Trek's costume designer, Bernadette Croft, um, a conversation that's going to be on awardsradar.com in a few days. Um, And that made me wonder, 
What is everyone's favorite fantasy slash sci-fi uniform? And there's a, a good bit to pick from. My favorite fantasy sci-fi uniform. At first, I would think the original Star Trek uniforms. They're just so hip and sexy and cool from the 60s. But the new uniforms from Strange New Worlds, especially the away team jackets when they're out in the field, if I could sport that, even in a red shirt, red's my color. Red's my favorite color. So yeah, I'd risk it. Honestly, I don't know that I have like a favorite uniform. Um, I was obviously like a big Harry Potter head, so I love the robes and all, but I don't think they're that like sleek. Um, and I don't know if this counts as a uniform, but I think I think my answer is going to be, I hope it's like a legit answer, but it's going to be with Lord of the Rings because I just feel like the outfits of everyone are all so interesting and unique and... Um, I have like a real soft spot for the the little cloaks that the hobbits wear for as part of the fellowship. Um and also Eowyn's armor at the very end when she well, spoilers. <laughs> uh Eowyn's armor from Return of the King. I won't say any more than that, but um I just think it looks really legit and it looks like it's actually maybe um some armor that you could actually wear and not get stabbed in the chest immediately, like so much other female armor. So I think that stuff looks awesome um so i'm gonna call that a uniform all right fellowship of the ring their cloaks we're gonna say that that's a uniform um army gear like knight armor and stuff totally a uniform you know some really interesting choices some i definitely saw coming but for me i always toss this back and forth about what would be my favorite uniform and like honestly, Star Trek, especially the Strange New Worlds um, uniforms are great. But I also really like Discovery Season One's uniforms. But I gotta say, man, you know, being from comic books, it's really hard for me to go against the Green Lantern Corps. They just have some really cool looking uniforms, uh, to me at least. And the ones that they upgraded most recently in the comics have looked even sharper. And then. If people are going to say like, oh, that's comics, that doesn't count, then I'm going to go live action and have to go with uh, any of the armored Power Rangers because all of those armored uh, costume sets look really, really cool to me. I I don't know. I Call me call me weird, but I love those ones. 